And what I'd like for you to do is uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, and we'll go to Genesis chapter 28. This, uh, this particular teaching, uh, as all of them, all, all of them are dwarfed in this video series, just to uh, kind of give a, a impetus, a direction for, for further study. But what I want to do here, it's actually uh, Genesis 26, excuse me. Oops, I'm in the wrong book. How about if I get in the right book? Maybe it is 28. 28, sorry. Genesis 28. This is the first mention of the house of God in the Bible. Now, one of the important things about studying the scripture is pay attention to the first time any subject is mentioned. Go there because that particular passage will establish a climate or a standard that the rest of Scripture will contribute to. The first mention of house of God, when we think of house of God, we either think in terms of buildings or more likely we think in terms of us being the house of God. In Ephesians 2, it talks about us being the eternal dwelling place of God. So we think in terms of we are the people in whom God lives. He dwells in us forever. So house of God takes on that context. But in this first mention, there is no building and neither is there a company of people. And yet it's the first revelation of the house of God. This revelation, I believe if we catch this, it completely changes how we do life and it, it changes what we live conscious of or aware of. Um, we have responsibility you know the prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. We have responsibility of learning how to bring the reality of that world into this one. And I believe the root system for that revelation is found in this story. So let's start in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob went out from Beersheba, went toward Haran. He came to a certain place, stayed there all night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place, put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Verse 15, 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. That fascinates me, that phrase, because I, I, I watch in, in corporate gatherings where the power of God will be moving so powerfully. I look at one person, they're being absolutely wrecked by the presence and power of God. The person next to them is wondering what's for lunch. I mean, they're absolutely clueless that the presence of the Almighty God just invaded the room. And uh, so this is something all of us have to contend with and deal with. A hunger and openness here always makes us more conscious and aware of what's happening out here. All right. So he says, uh, he woke from his sleep. The Lord is in this place. I didn't even know it. Our next couple verses are the key verses. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this, is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Look at that phrase. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. Verse 17 again, he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now I want you to picture some things with me as I talk to you. Jacob's laying on a hillside. He has a revelation of God. What, what does he see? He sees an open heaven. First of all, he sees a ladder on the earth reaching to heaven, not a ladder in heaven reaching to earth, which is interesting. On the earth reaching to heaven. On the ladder, he sees angels going up and angels coming down. My belief is they're going up because they finished an assignment. They're going down because they're, they've come with a fresh assignment. All right? And then he comes to the conclusion, this is the house of God. Again, no building and no crowd of people that God would dwell in. It was actually the place where God resided. Bethel, house of God. The house of God is defined by this revelation. 
So it means then the house of God has an open heaven, angelic activity, heaven to earth, earth to heaven. And one other thing I didn't mention, the voice of God. These are elements of the house of God. Does this make sense to you? It's a part of the definition. When God says, I've made you to be the house of God, he's not talking, you know, a, you know, we are woven together as a metal structure in which God will live. He's talking about there are characteristics with the privilege of housing God. What is it? The voice of God is present and active. The angelic is present. It comes, it goes, it accomplishes divine purposes. Does this make sense? There is an open heaven. This idea of closed heavens over us has to stop. It has to stop. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Father, the Bible says, is jealous for the Spirit in you. So picture this. Here's the Holy Spirit in us. There's the Father in heaven. What demonic power can block the fellowship between the Father in heaven and the Spirit of God in you? It's not possible. There is no devil that has the nerve to stand in the way of those two. All right. So this, this nonsense of closed heavens over us, it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist around us. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist in our cities and nations around us that we serve, but it's not over you. And when we gather together, how many of you can feel it? As we gather together, that openness that I enjoyed at my home earlier this morning is even larger as we come together with one heart and one mind because we live under an open heaven. So what is the nature of God's house? It's a house with an open heaven, the voice of God, and angelic activity coming and going. Now, there's a second definition. You guys still, still all right? There's a second definition to this house of God. The conclusion was, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The gate. A house that's a gate. What is a gate? A gate is a, a transition place. I have a gate that takes me from my front yard to my backyard. I go from one realm to another realm. Uh, you may have, we used to have a house where you'd go through the front gate onto the sidewalk. You'd go from my property to public property. A gate is a transition place. Are you following me? From one realm to another realm. So now you got to picture this. The Lord has built a house, his house, on the edge of two worlds. And when something goes from one world to the next, it goes through the gate. So the angels that ascend and descend they don't just go randomly anywhere. They go through the gate God created. Getting weird? All right, turn to John 1. I, it's, it, it is, but you've got to think this way because this is kingdom. <laughs> John chapter 1. I, I, just, I love this story so much. I just, it just gets me, it almost gets me excited. Almost. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But go back to the first phrase. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we know that Jesus is the word of God made flesh, correct? Jesus is the word of God made flesh, and he dwelt among us, all right? So John is making this announcement. He says, the word of God was turned into Jesus. Jesus came and he dwelt among us. You know what this word dwelt mean? means? Tabernacled. The word of God became flesh and tabernacled. Let me, let me use Genesis 28 language. Became the house of God among us. Now, do you remember when he was baptized in water and the spirit of God came upon him and remained? What happened? Jesus housed the Spirit of God all of his days. Are you with me? So Jesus is the house of God, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God for his entire ministry. Verse 49 of chapter 1. Verse 48, Jesus gives a word of knowledge, says, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you speaking to Nathanael. Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. 
Jesus answered and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe me? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. (laughs) Jesus is what? The tabernacle of God on the earth. Now remember, the, the Genesis standard was what? The house of God has an open heaven, the voice, and angelic activity coming and going. Fast forward, New Testament, Jesus becomes the initial fulfillment of that Old Testament prophetic picture. You got it? The initial, but not the ultimate. The initial fulfillment, the house of God on planet earth, and he says to Nathaniel, he says, you're going to see greater stuff than this. You're going to see heaven opened, and you're going to see angels ascending and descending on where? On Jesus, the house. What Jesus did is he would announce, I'm the light of the world. And then before he died, he says, you're the light of the world. Here he is. I am the house of God on planet earth. And then he says, you're the house of God on planet earth. What comes with the definition of the house? Open heaven, angelic activity coming and going. It is the normal part of the Christian life. Because you don't see it doesn't mean it can't be seen. Sometimes we don't see things here because we haven't seen them in here. All right, let's, let's do one more. Acts chapter 2. You guys doing all right? Acts chapter 2. We've got a few more minutes here. Acts chapter 2 is worthy of an hour by itself, but we're going to just kind of cheat and sneak this one in here. It's such a glorious passage. Verse 1 says, The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. That was the first miracle. (laughs) They were were united. You know, they spent 10 days praying together. They got rid of all the junk. Suddenly, verse 2, there came a sound sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Verse 6, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused. You know, some people think revival comes so squeaky clean and everything makes sense. No. This was the first great revival. What was the fruit? People were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in their own language. Verse 7, they were amazed and marveled. Look at verse verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed. Look at verse 13, others were mocking. So if you're experiencing God and people are confused and they're mocking and they're perplexed, you've got a good thing happening. That's... there's, There's this... It's just a real sign that God is showing up. Because if he comes in a way where everybody understands, then he came our size, not his size. We don't want a move of God fashioned after our capabilities. We want one fashioned after his. So here we have, let's just cut to the quick. Here we have the house of God. Where is it built? It's built on the edge of two worlds. Right? Because that house is the gateway between two realities. I know it sounds weird, but just allow it for a moment. He puts the house on the edge of two worlds. What do the disciples do in this chapter? They pray for 10 days. Earth invaded heaven before heaven invaded earth. And a sound came from heaven. That word can be translated roar. There was this guttural release from heaven that went from that world through the gate into this world, and people erupted in other languages. But what was visible? What could they hear? The first thing they heard was the sound of rushing wind. What did they see? Fire. Psalms 104 says God makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire. I don't know if you made that connection yet. Let's try that again. God spoke of his angels as wind and fire. 
Here they are in an upper room. Jesus just told them in John 20, he breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they've already been born again. At least the 11 were. We've now got 120 people praying. The wind of God, the roar, the sound of heaven does what? Comes through the gate, if you will, into this room. There are manifestations of wind and fire upon what? The house of God of which Jesus was the prototype, the prototype that you would be the fulfillment of. All right, take a look at it real quick. Verse 6, when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because they heard them speak in their own language. This is when Peter stands up, he preaches. They ask, what must we do to be saved? Can I follow this? Because I want to conclude with this. I don't believe that in an international city, having people speak, in their known languages would cause people to drop their tools, their things that they worked with, things that they were doing recreation with, drop everything, and at nine o'clock in the morning gather to some obscure site to stand around and ask what's going on. I don't think the sound they heard, I mean, was people praying in tongues from our perspective, but speaking in their language. Even Reading is now an international city because of you guys. <laughs> and if we have somebody speaking Finnish or Dutch or Spanish or whatever on the street corner, a crowd is not going to gather. Why? Because it's, it's just what happens. When this says a sound occurred, I do not believe it was a sound of tongues. What was it? A sound came from that world through a gate into this world. Picture it like this. All 120 people were in one accord, correct? They're in unity. How important is unity to a symphony? It is disastrous if they've all tuned their instruments to their own deal. But when there's perfect unity, that symphony is almost magical. It's amazing. So what happened here? 120 people, they came into one accord, not with one another, but unity is best monitored when we adjust all of our hearts to His. That means the one standard is the standard for all of us. And here they are praying together and a sound, picture this, I love the saxophone. Somebody who's good on a saxophone, that breath goes across that reed and creates a distinct sound. Picture this, the wind of God, the breath of God coming across the reed of every heart of 120 people, creating a sound that he releases over an entire city that changes the consciousness of a city where people don't know what they're hearing, why they're hearing it, but it causes them to drop what they're doing at nine o'clock in the morning and follow the sound until they find themselves standing with thousands of people around a room out of which is coming prayers in their languages. It wasn't the prayers in their languages that drew them. It was an indistinguishable sound of the breath of God blowing across yielded hearts. Why? Because God built his house on the edge of two worlds. It is normal for your and my acts of obedience and yieldedness to God, unity to the work and the spirit of God, to create a sound around us that stirs up God-given appetites in them for the Almighty God. I'll end with a story. A gentleman that was very tormented by evil spirits was a drug addict. He lived, I believe it was in the state of Washington. He needed help. And he was going to drive down Interstate 5, all the way to San Diego to be with some of his family that could help him get free, get delivered from drugs, and just help him. He was in trouble. When he hit the Reading city limits, he, he drove into a presence 
in which the demons in him began to manifest as he's driving by himself down the freeway. This is a, I got this story from his family members that drove up and gave us the report. The demons in him began to manifest, and he could not drive the car. He, struck, he got the car over to the side of the road. He got out of the car and began to run down the side of the road, asking God to help him. God met him on the side of the road, and not only was he set free from every demonic presence in his life, he was delivered from drug addiction on the side of a freeway. I believe, I believe this is possible in every one of our cities by having people that maintain unity with the heart of God continuously allow the sound of heaven to be released through their yielded hearts. Why? It does more to change the atmosphere than you can possibly imagine. In this story, everybody dropped what they were doing and they came and they stood. And the ones who crucified Jesus only days earlier are now standing there saying, what must we do to be saved? What happened? There was a sound that changed everything that they were aware of, everything that influenced their values, their perspectives, their thoughts. Everything shifted. Why? Because the people of God had in some measure discovered they were the house built on the edge of two worlds so that when God worked, it went through one world, through the gate, to impact this one. Lord, I ask that you'd open our eyes to see the beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the potential of these moments that you give us. That you'd open our eyes to see what you're doing, what you're saying, hear what you're saying. The angelic presence even that is released to carry out your purposes. All we want is the world around us to be impacted by you by your presence, by what you're doing in us and through us. We pray this all for the honor of the name Jesus. Everyone said? Praise God. Do y'all remember the song we used to sing? Open up the heavenlies, let a new sound be released. Remember that? Hallelujah. I don't even know if we knew what we were asking for or what we were singing about at that time. Sounded good anyway, but now we know, don't we? Hallelujah. It's nearly like uh, Bill Johnson wrote the song or something, but I think it was Lakewood or something song. I'm not positive about that. But anyway, well, Sunday morning when, uh, let's see, we had praise and worship, and then we had, uh, let's see, we had praise and worship, and then we, ha we were just... Uh, I don't know if we were soaking or what we were doing, but we were just, Kenny was playing and everything. And uh, I heard this, I kept hearing this sound like a wind. After, you know, and we stopped and we had a time of silence. I kept hearing this wind. And it was kind of nearly, it was not, it nearly sounded like a roar. And I was going to tell you all about it in the, you know, when I got up. But uh, I forgot. And then I was going to talk about it tonight at the prayer, pre-service prayer, and I forgot. But, and I, and I, I, one, I was kind of hesitant about mentioning it, actually. Forgot is one way to say it, but kind of purposely forgot because I, uh, I was like, um, I never heard anything like it before, and I'm trying to figure out, am I hearing traffic? What am I hearing here? Because, uh, but it, I don't know if anybody else heard anything, but you heard a wind too? Okay, that was Sunday morning before, you know, between praise and worship. And so, hallelujah. We need a sound. I, I like what he said. We need that sound to come forth from heaven that, causes something to shift in all of Tuscaloosa in the minds of the people and the hearts of the people and uh, hallelujah causes them to come a running hallelujah come a running come on okay we're talking about hosting the presence
Uh, chapter one was your authority to release God's presence. Chapter two was your significance in his presence. And chapter three was empowered by his presence. And now we're in chapter four, and it's called a sneak preview of God's house. And he just covered it so well, so I won't dwell on it or try to repeat anything. Uh, but we saw that Jacob received a blueprint for the normal Christian life, or it was like a prophetic encounter that was speaking of things to come as much as it was speaking to Jacob that day. And he talked, Bill talked about that Jesus fulfilled that model of what Jacob experienced, but he, uh, Jake, uh, Jesus was the uh, model and the uh, prototype, and we are the ultimate fulfillment of that, that we are the the tabernacle or the temple or the house of God. And corporately, I liked what he said about that, that if we have an open heaven over us individually, that the open heaven gets bigger as we come together corporately. Hallelujah. And I've always sensed such an open heaven uh, over this church, uh, like a portal and a lot of angelic activity here. And uh, isn't that awesome about uh, hallelujah, that in our lives, or as we are the tabernacle of God, we're to, we're to know that we have an open heaven. We are to know that we are we not only can hear the voice of God, we do hear the voice of God, and that we are to know that there is angelic activity all the time around us and with us. And uh, I think what we need to do is not only expect it, but I think we need to be looking for it and watching for that angelic activity. I believe it's happening all around us all the time. You know, uh, we have an angel that stands in our hallway down there in front of pastor's door and sometimes I'll be sitting there watching TV and just I'll just you know I'll just move my head and I see that white figure down there at the end of the hallway and uh and and uh or and because I'll be sitting in a chair right there and I'll turn my head just a little bit and I'll see that so there is angelic activity around us so be looking for it be looking for those signs there's signs around us all the time signs the signs god's leaving his footprint all over all over our lives and our homes and everything so uh hallelujah i like that way he said it in the book he said it a continuous flow of supernatural angelic activity from one world to another a continuous flow not an angel every once in a thousand years or every once in 50 years but continual angelic activity we have to change our thinking if we want this model to be our christian life because most christians are living on much less than this i'd say we are living on less than we need to and then there's people that believe it or not are living below that and calling it christianity you know a lot of times what we're calling christianity is really just religion and I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just saying they're not re- really living normal or true Christianity. They're living in a, a form of religion or a form of godliness. Re- uh, religion is usually always focused more on the past and also focused on the future and the sweet by and by, but hardly ever is focused on what God has given us now. And this is what's so good about this is this is now. This is not something that when the rapture comes, you know, hallelujah, this is something that we have now, the open heaven, the voice of God, and angelic activity. So the first point that's made in the the lesson book is that God conceals to reveal. God conceals to reveal. Um, Hallelujah. If we want to learn to decipher God's will, we have to change our thinking. And we need to stop thinking that God's ways are mysterious you know, the saying, and your, probably your grandparents or parents, if they were Christians, said God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. Actually, a few, every once in a while, I see somebody post that on Facebook from back in my Seagraves town, you know, uh, that God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. But we have to break that kind of thinking uh, because God does work in mysterious ways, but the way that's said is that we can understand what he's doing and that is not the truth it is God's will for us to understand and his mysteries are not beyond our grasp any uh, 
Another way of wrong thinking is anything supernatural is just something God decided, but it can't be figured out, and it sure can't ever be repeated, and that it's just mysterious. But that's just not what, uh, that's just not the truth. Uh, Religious Christianity is not expecting the supernatural. Hallelujah. You know, the best expectation of the supernatural that they're usually expecting is the rapture. And, you know, they're wishing and hoping for things like healing. And even sometimes they're praying, but not truly, truly expecting or believing that those supernatural things. And we have to we have to watch ourselves that we don't think, well, you know, healing's just, you know, uh, beyond our beyond our grasp in any way, we we've got to have that mentality like that breakthrough that it's just paper. It's just a the we, our breakthrough is easy. Our breakthrough is easy, and be expecting it. Um, and I believe expectation is important key, very important key. God reveals when we pursue, and that's what a lot of times. Uh, we're just kind of waiting on God in his sovereignty a lot of times. I'm not talking about us. I'm just talking about, but just to wait on God and his sovereignty instead of to pursue. We have to get in pursuit. Jeremiah 29, and you know this scripture, but here's another thing. I've noticed that uh, uh, just through some things I'm reading, uh, I read some blogs, a few blogs where the people are Christians, but not necessarily spirit-filled Christian, and uh, they talk a lot about, and one thing that uh, Christianity, religious Christianity does now is they do, they they have grasped on to the praise and worship songs. You can't tell the difference in praise and worship now in a lot of Baptist churches than you could in our church. In fact, they're probably doing it better in some ways. You know, they just well, if you count instrumentation and stuff like that, uh, better. But <clears throat> hallelujah. Um, but and they really have latched on to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I see this quoted and quoted and quoted. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, uh, "For I know the thoughts that I think towards you," saith the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a expected end." The NIV says, "A future and a hope, to give you a future and a hope." Then shall you call upon me, though we need to go on down. Then shall you call upon me. And ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And then I like verse 13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. And so instead of uh, saying, well, you know, God's ways are mysterious. No, we just need to get in pursuit of God. Because God is delighted to reveal himself to us. Um, And answers from heaven should be very normal thing for us. In the kingdom... Things are hidden in order to be found. Matthew 13, 11. Hallelujah. Things are hidden in order for you to find them. And I think that, you know, sometimes we uh, uh, think that, well, I don't have time because it's going to take so many days and hours of pursuit. It's going to be 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And... (laughs) For, for, but hallelujah! But but pursuit of God is an a all day, every day in our heart thing, turning our hearts towards Him, uh, loving Him, just loving Him, and building and having relationship and intimacy with God. That is pursuing, and that is seeking God. It's not about a forty day fast out in the wilderness, the devil tempting us, and you know, all those kind. <laughs> But, you know, always the devil tells us everything's hard. He tells us things are hard in order to keep us out. He lies to us in order to keep us out. Because if we ever just realize this is just a paper, we can break through so easy every day. Just, you know, how hard was what we did tonight of casting your care? Not very hard. All we have to do is seize it and act upon it, and you have a breakthrough. You cast your care, and that's a breakthrough. 
And you can expect things to be different. Just because you quit carrying the care that Jesus is supposed to be carrying for you, hallelujah, you'll see things different tomorrow. You'll see things, you probably already saw some things different tonight. Or even if your focus gets readjusted. It's like wearing a, a, something out of focus, binoculars or whatever, and it's out of focus. Your focus gets readjusted. And so... <clears throat> Matthew 13, 11, and it says this in, a, in Luke also. This is twice then. the, hallelujah. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Hallelujah. So it is given unto us to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to us. All of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven uh, we can know. Hallelujah. And we don't know just because we haven't looked, we haven't pursued, we haven't expected. And when we did pursue, we pursued maybe in loving him, but we didn't really expect to, 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 to see anything. And so we need to keep our eyes open every day. And I'm talking about spiritual eyes. I'm you know, watching for uh, the angelic activity, signs of signs, hallelujah, praise God, because they're out there. And angelic activity is there. It's there for you to see. And we can pray those prayers, Lord, open my eyes uh, that I might see in a greater way than I have. Hallelujah. <clears throat> We are invited to search out the hidden things of God. And when we pursue God, we find the very thing we are looking for. God wants to reveal the things we're asking for, whether it just be wisdom over a business deal. He, but he wants to reveal it through relationship and in, intimacy. He does not want to be an impersonal God giving us impersonal answers. Hallelujah. So he hid these things so we would pursue him. So instead of like pursuing uh, the, the, uh, the answer, we pursue God and he gives us the revelation or the answer that we need. It's sort of like um, uh, you needing to provide for your family. And, and so you take a job and you work 12 hours a day and you come home and work five more uh, you know, doing home stuff in the computer like I'm talking about, working on your job for five more hours, which a lot of people do that, you know. And then the wife saying, hallelujah, I, where's my husband? And the kids saying, we don't have a daddy. Hallelujah. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We, we don't pursue how to make a living by pursuing making a living. We pursue how to provide for our family by pursuing God. That's, that's it in a nutshell. And so it's the same with every other kind of wisdom or revelation or need that we have. We find the answers in pursuing God. And he says, what does Jesus say? He said, uh, 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 my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's yoke is not a 16-hour work day. And, you're, and then you get a divorce because your wife wanted a husband. <laughs> or you get kids that have no you know <laughs> regard for you because they never did see you hallelujah that's not god's way his yoke is easy his burden is light and the outcome is always good for everybody it's always a blessing for everybody hallelujah if it's god it's blessed hallelujah okay uh <clears throat> so in that personal relationship with god a great question to ask. This is what I've been asking, uh, saying a new way of, Lord, I need to know what what the answer to this question is. I've been saying, Lord, what's your heart on this? What's your heart? Because, you know, because we want to know his heart. We don't want to just hear yes or no or okay or <laughs> hallelujah. But we, what's your heart? on this what's your heart say to me on this hallelujah he wants us to personally lead us through the process hallelujah and if we if we pursue 
out of the heart of wanting his heart and we pursue out of loving him and want relationship with him, we can be certain that what we need will be revealed to us. Hallelujah. So in the process of getting the answers we need, we also grow in intimacy. We grow in a greater relationship and we have that revelation and wisdom we need. And uh, we not only have it for ourselves, but we have it for others. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. The second uh, point that he makes the work, there's five points under every chapter that back up what he talked about knowing the house of God, knowing the house of God. And the second point is the day our, is the title of it is the day our forefathers long to see. Now this won't take but a minute because this is easy to explain. But if you look over in Luke chapter 10, we got the snow cone machine going tonight, don't we? <laughs> Hallelujah. Pretty soon going to start snowing in here. <laughs> Listen, if I'm cold, it's, it's like it's, it's cold. <laughs> Luke 10, 23. Hallelujah. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that we see. For I tell you that many Prophets and kings have desired to see these things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear these those things which ye hear, and, not, and have not heard them. One thing I think we need to just recognize first of all is Jesus said we're blessed. Jesus said you're blessed to get to see what you see, and to get to uh, uh, know the things that you know, because the prophets... The prophets, that's talking about Moses and uh, Daniel and Ezekiel and Jonah and, well, you just can name them all. The prophets and kings, King David, they long to see what we as just ordinary to us. They, they looked and they got glimpses into the future just like we get glimpses into the future. I believe we're already glimpsing and having prophetic words that are carrying over into the millennial reign. And, you know, things, there's always overlap in everything. That's why we're seeing, you know, we are in the tribulation. Maybe not that seven years, but the overlap, you know, there's always overlap. You know, it, it's not just one day everything turns bad. Hallelujah. You know, it was just great, Lord. It was heaven on earth. And then, boy, that is tribulation day. No, there's there's tribulation. Been, there's stuff tribulating out there. Hallelujah. It's really tribulating over in Syria tonight. Hallelujah. And, uh, and there's probably some Christians there if they already didn't leave and if they heard God they left hallelujah but anyway there's overlap and then there's overlap into the millennial and we're seeing over there and they saw over into our day they got glimpses of it they may not have seen the whole picture certainly they didn't see the whole picture um uh what, so what the he's talking to the disciples here. So what the disciples were seeing and what they were experiencing, kings and prophets wished to see. And, you know, we could ask, well, what is it that they were wanting to see? What is it that the disciples had that they were wishing to see? And the quick answer is Jesus, of course, that they wanted to, that they knew there was Messiah. The Jews have always known that Messiah was coming. And so they knew Messiah was coming. So they wanted to see Messiah. They wanted to see him. They wanted to see him. They wanted to see him. And then when he got here, they didn't recognize him. Hallelujah. And partly, Paul said that in partly blindness came upon the Jews so that the Gentiles could come in. So we could have, so the church could come in. And so uh, he said that. I mean, you read Romans, that's what it says. And, um, <clears throat> so, um, but uh, the long answer, or the longer answer, not real long, is uh, one of the thought they longed to see was the kingdom that began with Jesus. And they longed to see uh, that the, the works of the kingdom, the works of the kingdom that Jesus did, and then ultimately the disciples did. Well, then next the disciples did, and then ultimately that we do. They longed to see that be day. They knew 
they knew that they were laboring under that curse of Adam, and they wanted to see people set free. They knew they couldn't be everything they wanted to be. They knew Messiah was coming to set people free. They knew. Ezekiel said, he talked about that uh, That I'm going to give you a heart of flesh and I'm going to take out the stony heart. Those things they knew were coming. And they looked over there and they saw it and they longed to be. They not only longed to see it, they longed. They wanted to experience that. So the long answer is the kingdom, the new birth, the new heart, the new nature. Because they, they knew a better day was coming, a superior day. Uh, we li- we have, we're in the superior day. We're even in a some more superior day than the disciples walked in. Well, they walked in it, but they walked in it after Jesus left. Hallelujah. Uh, so, uh, And then it's even more. The kingdom is more... Been, been more more's been revealed of the kingdom they didn't even know what they had paul who was not even a disciple had to get the revelation of what they got during the new birth they they had something they didn't know what was cuz cuz they couldn't read about it hallelujah and paul got the revelation of who we are in christ and what happened uh when we were born again so uh, <clears throat> but they knew that was coming so here's the thing that 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 this this posting the presence is wanting us to recognize as far as the day our fathers forefathers longed to see it's we need to be grateful jesus said we're blessed and we need to be grateful it's important that we honor the day that we live in honor you know you've probably heard people say well i wish i could have lived in the bible days and you know, <laughs> we, there's a church in—I uh, don't know if it's still there. Probably not. I don't think it's still there. But there used to be a church in Dallas called the Early Church. Hallelujah. Well, you know, yeah, and and that's good in one sense, but it's not as good in some other senses. It's good in the sense of that the Early Church had the works of Jesus, and somehow they got lost during the Dark Ages and all that kind of stuff. And the church is, uh, you know. I've been reading some stuff about the history of the church, and if the Baptists knew how Catholic their doctrine was, they would, because a lot of what they believe about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and tongues, that's of the devil, that all came out of Catholicism, and (laughs) they wouldn't like that at all if they knew that. (laughs) Because... Remember I told y'all, I've told y'all this before, that uh, we had we had trouble electing a president because he is Mormon. Because have I ever told you, I know I've told a lot of people this because uh, the Baptists are always teaching on false religions, false religions. It's like, teach the Bible, teach Jesus. That's what I want to say. Quit teaching on, well, we got word the other day that a church here in town, they're going to have Wednesday night, the pastor's teaching on false religion, false and it's like the cults the cults hallelujah i'm like well you know i hope they don't do dr ben carson in because they'll be saying oh he's an adventist and he can't be the president because he's an adventist you know or whatever um that's extra that's my little i i laugh and then i'm i laugh and hallelujah so it's important we honor the day that we have been sovereignly chosen to live in. You were sovereignly chosen to live in this day. Remember how we always say that it takes three people to make a baby? Y'all remember that? That's what's, that's what's so off about gay marriage. Because it leaves, it leaves uh, three or more people out. It you know it's you leave out the the that spouse that opposite sex you leave out God and you leave out all the kids you would have that's at least three people and maybe more and so that can't be right that can't be right so anyway it takes three people to make a marriage it takes a man a woman and God right and God's part is that he picked out a spirit a speci- not just I mean it's not like these are all little clone spirits up in heaven and they're all alike and he just throws one over there <laughs> when a baby is conceived 
But no, if you go over to Jeremiah 1, 5, I want you to see this because you were, it, it's important for you to know that you were picked for this day. You were picked for this hour. This is your time. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, um, Before I formed thee in the belly, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou canst camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So before, 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 not only did he know you, and you are you are an individual, specific, uh, hallelujah, you weren't, you were, you were not just one in a, of a of one of a bunch of like of a like spirits, you are individual, unique. That's what the word I'm looking for. You are an individual, unique spirit with a destiny and a calling. And God knew you before you were in the womb, but at conception, He needed that spirit with the with the whatever the the tissue that would become uh, actual body, the body of a baby, and He put brought that life in there, and you were chosen. To be in this day. You were not supposed to be in the days of the old prophets, in the old covenant. You weren't supposed to be there. You were uniquely crafted for this day, for this hour. And we need to figure that out and we need to do something with it. And first of all, be thankful that we live in the day we live in. Because we live in a better day than they got to live in. Even a better day than the disciples got to live in. So, Lord, show us how to walk in this superior covenant. We ask that. Show us how to enjoy everything that we have in Christ, in Christ. And open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Help us to start noticing the supernatural, hallelujah, heavenly activity that is operating in us, around us, and through us all the time. Hallelujah. Help us never to wish that for to be different than who we are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're supposed to be who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Even your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And your birth date. Hallelujah. And no matter, you may say, well, I was an accident. My parents didn't plan me. But but God did. I mean, I'm not saying he caused anything, but he knew you were coming and planned out ahead for it. Hallelujah. He planned ahead in Jesus' name. You're supposed to be here. Thank God your mom didn't abort you. Our Satan didn't steal you. Thank you, Lord, for showing us our assignment. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Well, let's let's let Pastor take over.